Um, <clears throat> for some of you, uh, I'm Andy Beatty, uh, that may be newer here. I am uh, I, I blessed to serve on the leadership team here at Faith and to be a part of that team and a part of what God is doing here at Faith. But uh, uh, Lauren had asked me if I would open up this morning and share a couple quick announcements. And so um, just want to let you know that you're welcome, whether it's your first time here or your thousandth time here. Um, this is not a church about a person. It's about, it's about God. It's His church. And you are welcome here this morning. And His presence is in this place this morning. There's no doubt about that. But I do have a couple quick announcements I want to share real quick. And just a couple of opportunities that you can engage with God, what He's doing here at Faith. And you know, God, He did create us for community. He created us to be around His people. And so just a couple ways real quick. I want you to listen close. I'm going to breeze through these. If you have any questions, please see me afterwards. See any of the leadership team, uh, any of the staff. They'll be glad to help you. But uh, first of all, Operation Christmas Child. You've heard that, but we need to remind you that you need to bring your filled shoe boxes next Sunday. They're due next Sunday, November 13th. So make sure and bring those. There's still a few in the very back, back at the back wall. If you need one, pick one of those up on the way out, but have those returned next week. Second, Heart of Christmas. Ladies, one of your favorites, I think. Um, I'm not a lady, but I've heard a lot of ladies talk about it. So, <laughs> Actually, I've been because I had to do the sound for Lauren one year but uh, or a couple years. But uh, it is a good evening with the ladies. Uh, just remember this date. It's going to be on Sunday night, December the 4th. So mark that date down. There will be more coming on that registration probably later this week. Um, all right, how many of you like a good meal? We all like a good meal. Well, Thanksgiving's coming up. Uh, that season is here. It's upon us. Can you believe it's November? But uh, our Thanksgiving lunch here at Faith, our annual Thanksgiving lunch is going to be on November the 20th, right after our church service. So um, you've heard them mentioned on the back wall back there. There should be some cards where you can pick up a dish that you'd like to make and bring for the... Uh, for the church uh, Thanksgiving dinner, and they're asking you to bring double whatever you would normally fix for your for your family. So if you pick up one that says green beans, I don't even know if green beans is back there, but if you do fix double what you normally would for your um, for your family. Um, the other one associated with our Thanksgiving lunch is the turkeys and hams. The church will be purchasing the turkeys and the hams, but we need a few volunteers to cook them. So if you'd be willing to cook, slice, and then bring the turkey to the church on, uh, on that Sunday, if you would, on the back of your, um, your Connect card, there's a box there. Just check that and turn that into the, uh, in the box in the back on your way out, and then we'll be back in touch with you. So this time, you guys stand with me as we begin to worship. I want to share just a couple of things before I uh, turn it over to the to the team this morning. Psalm 100 verse 4 says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. And as I mentioned, we're entering into the Thanksgiving season. We as Christians, we should be thankful every day. But as we focus on that and think about Thanksgiving... It's a special day today, especially for me and my wife. Um, 
and I'm thankful that he blessed me 34 years ago with a bride. Amy, I love you. Happy anniversary. There's a theme. There's a theme going on here, and it has been all week. Amy and I had the opportunity again this weekend to be at a conference, and we decided several months ago we were going to sign up for this conference and go and just do it for our anniversary, just to get away for a few days. So we've done that the last three days, and so um, we're a little bit full today from being in His presence. And just as I stood right here. 34 years ago and watched those doors open. The anticipation of that. Folks, we're the bride now. You're the bride. That bridegroom is coming. He's coming. Folks, we need to get ready for the bride, the bridegroom to come. We need to ready ourselves as the bride. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16, it said, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. As we went to the Worship and Warfare Conference, and as I was walking this morning during the prayer time and saw Ethan's box here, it says, Worship is warfare. People, when we worship, we are warring. It's a spiritual battle. we worship this morning, let's put our focus on Him. Think about who He is. He is our Creator. He created every part of your being. He created it for Him. He created it for you to worship Him. One of the things that uh, I believe that God showed me this weekend as it relates to faith and faith church. People, I don't think we've seen anything yet. Sometimes we get to a point we think we've got a, a handle on what worship is or how to worship or how to worship Him. Our minds cannot comprehend heaven. He hasn't given us that ability yet. We may have seen glimpses of it, but that's only a glimpse. So let's, as we focus on Him this morning, and as there is a spirit of praise and worship in here, that spirit overcomes heaviness. And some of you walked in here with a lot of heaviness today. Some of you walked in here not sure about things in your life 
know that God loves you. God created you. He made every part of you to worship Him. People, we have access to the throne room. This morning during prayer time, I believe some of our prayers touched the throne room, reached the throne room. And when we're in His presence, things are going to change. So I believe there's going to be people that are changed here today. There's going to be lives that walk out of those doors different today. So Heavenly Father, as we come to You, as we come to worship You, the awesome Creator that You are, Help us to see you today. Help us to hear you today. Help us to experience you today. Help us to receive your healing. Help us to receive all that you have for us today. In Jesus' name.
had a word for everyone. This was before I even came in. I got the word river. Once again, when we were praying here before the service, praying for all of you, for all of us, I got the same word, river. And I could, I got this vision of the river just going around the room, flowing around the room. And as we were walking around praying, it was like we were flowing in that river, that river of life, that living water. I believe that living water is here for us today. Don't be afraid to come into the water.
as we've been taught, but your kingdom is in us, around us, with us. We worship you today. You reign. You're the king. Come on, somebody say, he's the king. He's the king.
your kingdom just permeate this place, Father.
the Lord. Whatever the wall is inside that's blocking us from experiencing His presence, we just lift it up to you, Father. And we just say, break out, Father. Break into the places in us that need to experience the fullness of God. Break out in us, Holy Spirit. We lift up our walls this morning to you. down our walls. Continue to show us your immense love towards us. In Jesus' name. And we all pray together the scripture. Pray then like this. Join me. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as those forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. Amen. You may have a seat. I memorize it, New King James. It still comes out New King James with my eyes closed. And there's trespasses in New King James, not debts. This morning, we'll just be in our second week here that we've entitled, Pray Then, Pray Like This, The Lord's Prayer. Last week, I talked about, when we opened up, I talked about empty calories, about how you can consume something and consume something, but it gives you no health, it gives you no sustenance, it does nothing good for your body, and then in fact, it might actually do uh, the opposite, it might... Uh, cause detriment 
to your body. And I use soda as the main example, and I threw sweet tea in there, and nobody sent me any emails, so I'm assuming you're all agreeing with me about sweet tea. Um, but I just want to recap last, uh, last week as we go into this week. As we look at the Lord's Prayer, we want to view it that it is a radical, it is a plea for radical and supernatural transformation to come to our world and in our lives. It's not something that we just say as routine. It's not something that we believe that if we just say all the right words, that God will do something specific for us. But it's more of a prayer that says, God, what you have for us, we want. What you want for us, that's what we will take. And, uh, and this prayer, and we'll get into this uh, even a little bit more uh, this morning, is that this prayer shows us what to ask of our Father. So many times we, we go to pray and we know we're supposed to ask for something, but we don't know what to ask for. We don't know uh, where to begin, and this prayer is, is the avenue by which we know what to ask for. And this week, as we uh, go in, the, the, uh, the second half of the prayer, it's now we begin to ask for personal things from a personal God. Right? The, the first part is, is rightfully adoration. Our Father, it's, it's, it's uniting ourselves to Jesus in coming to him. Our Father who is in heaven, you keep making your name holy. Right? This is right that we pray those things in the beginning. Right? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we talk about specifics of the kingdom, but these are kind of general. These are kind of broad strokes of this is what we want, God. And then the second half as we go in, it just starts off, uh, it starts off with us, give us. I changed the title after Pam printed the bulletins. It's give us. This, now we're coming to this God and we're saying, here is what we want. Right? Yes, we spend time adoring. Yes, we spend time um, basking in the holiness of God and asking for his kingdom. And now it's give us. Give us. We now look at what we are asking for in a more specific way. And the first thing he says is give us our daily bread. There was a store in my old town in San Lu of San Luis Obispo and it was, it, it was a grocery store. It was Vaughn's. And I was trying to figure out, like, what to compare it to here because it's a little bit nicer than a food lion, but it might not be as nice as, like, a Publix or an Ingles. It was like a half step down from them, but a step up from food lion. So that was Vaughn's. And they had, uh, they had their, their bakery section, and they had their, their places where you get all the, the meats and the fruits. And if you went at the right time, Usually about 4.30 or 5 o'clock when you were standing in line by the registers, by the registers they had these racks. And on these racks every day around that time, they would put out warm loaves of French bread. <laughs> My mouth's watering, sorry. I'm just, the memory is flooding me. See, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you guys in on a disagreement that my wife and I have in our marriage. Um, she will go into a store, and she will take something off the shelf, and if she is hungry, she will start to eat it before we get to the register. And she's saying, ah, we're going to pay for it anyways, and I say, we haven't paid for it. 
It's like, but we're going to. So that's a disagreement we have. That disagreement fell to the wayside with this bread. Because if the line was long as they frequently got, just go up, we'd get back in line, and we'd just start digging in. The end of the line, right? I, that's the one time, honey, you're right. We are going to pay for it. We were going to. We're already in line. It's fine. Give us our bread. Give us what we want. Give us what we need. I have, okay, I won't go there. That's too weird. All right. So when we hear, give us our bread, that's what I think of. I think of Vons. I think of warm French bread. I think of bread that butter is melting on as I'm eating it. But if I was a Jewish person in the first century, my mind would go to the manna. The manna that was divinely delivered to the Israelites as they wandered. God told them, Yahweh told them, in the morning, you will be filled with bread. He's telling them, this is, you will get your daily bread. I will fill you up with what you need. So asking for bread is to ask, for, is to ask God to supernaturally give us what we need today. Because their mind goes back to a supernatural activity. right? Ours might not. Ours goes to the loaves on the shelves. Their mind goes back to, oh, God rained down bread from heaven. And maybe in my slice of the, of, of the new heavens, warm French bread will rain down, but it doesn't really happen all that much now. But what, he's, what they're doing when they're asking for bread is they're asking for something that comes from heaven but belongs to us, right? The manna that came down came from heaven but belonged to the people. It belonged to the children of God. It belonged to the nation of Israel. And so when we say, give us our bread, give us our daily bread, we're saying, God, give us exactly what we need supernaturally right now, today, in Proverbs chapter 30, Solomon writes, two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. Remove from me falsehood and lying and give me neither poverty or riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. He says, oh, God, I, I need exactly the amount of food that I need today. I need exactly that amount. Don't give me too much or else I'll forget that you're even the one who provides. And, and that's, kind of, that's kind of the place that we find ourselves in, right? That we have so much. I've said this before, but having a full refrigerator stocked of food that you can go to anytime is an anomaly in history. You go back a hundred years, people didn't have this. You go back even further and people are having to pray this, God, give me exactly what I need because they have no other way to get it. But we go to a full refrigerator. In fact, uh, earlier this week, I was throwing out things that had been in my refrigerator that went bad. And you know what people starving in other countries say? Food can go bad and it's not a big deal. Sometimes we have so much that we just say, yeah, I worked for this, I got it. 
I have a good job so I can buy my food. I can fill my refrigerator. But here, Solomon is saying, give me exactly what I need today. But I'm going to rely on you that you're going to give me everything I need so that I don't resort to my fleshly desires. So that I don't resort to steal and then profane you. And there's a woman in Mark chapter 7. And she comes up to Jesus and his, his, uh, his disciples. And she falls on her knees and she starts begging him. My daughter has an unclean spirit. I need you to pray for her. I need you to come and see my daughter because only you can do it. We'll talk about that a little bit later, but she says, only you can do it. And this woman, she, it says that she's a, a Syrophoenician woman. I mean, she lives north of where they are, and she's, they make sure that you know that she's a Gentile. She's not an Israelite. She's not in the family or the chosen people of God. And he said to her, let the, little, let the children be fed first. You're not one of my children. You're a Gentile. For it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. He's calling her a dog. It's, you can't have what belongs to the children. And then she says, yes, Lord. But even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And that makes him step back and say, you get it. You understand. And he said to her, because you said that, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. He says, this, uh, you're asking for freedom from Satan. That doesn't belong to you. That bread belongs to the children. You want daily bread? You have to be a child. And in this case, bread is being set free from the bondage of Satan, and it's being healed. That's the children's bread. That belongs to you. That's your bread. You don't have to live oppressed by Satan. You don't have to live in the things that you've always been lived in. You don't have to live with the same addictions, with the same depressions, with all of these things, because the bread that Jesus wants to give you is healing and deliverance. It belongs to you. That's the daily bread. Look, this plea for supernatural provision, it's intended to relieve the disciples of the stress of their life. Seek the kingdom of God first and, and you'll get the bread. You'll get everything else. Seek the kingdom. Ask for it. And here's the promise is that when you seek the kingdom, you get the kingdom. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Over the past couple days, my wife and I have been discussing Christmas presents for our children. And I'm not going to tell which child we're talking about here. Because my, my son never pays attention. And I said Christmas presents for children. And he jumped up right now. He's like, what? Huh? <laughs> but we were talking about one of them. And we, were, we are still in the process, kids, still in the process of deciding for one of the presents. And one of the presents that we can give them, it's a good present. 
it's good, they'll use it, they'll like it, they'll be excited about it. But the other present, it's that kind where, where they actually, they, they, they might faint because they've been asking for it, but they know how expensive it is and we don't really have the money so it would be a really big splurge for the kid present. And we're debating. And part of me, the, the, the utilitarian side of me is like, no, we only have a specific uh, set of money for Christmas and if we go over it, we've gone over it and this present will put us over it. And then the other half of me is the father who says, no, it would be my good pleasure to give them this present. Right? It would be my good pleasure. So you kids, you know what to pray for now. Your father's pleasure. But this is what Jesus feels about the kingdom. He says, fear not. Don't worry, guys. Don't worry. You've been asking for it. Fear not. It's my good pleasure to give you the kingdom. It would bring me joy to give you exactly what you've been asking for. The miraculous provision, to sum up daily bread, the miraculous provision of daily bread is designed to set our sights on the kingdom and its power. We trust that he'll give us what we need. We'll trust that he'll give us exactly what uh, we have to get, what we need to get through the day. We trust that he'll give us that so we can focus on the kingdom. So we can focus on him. So give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses. Forgive us our debts. Whichever one you memorized it in, forgive us. I'm going to start a new series at the, in the beginning of next year, a few weeks into next year. And it's all about, well, I'll tell you this. I wanted to title the series this, but my wife and some friends were hanging out with said I couldn't title it. I wanted to title the series, What's Wrong With You? Right? That's what I wanted to title it, but they're like, no, that's a little too, no. Uh, but that's, that's not the tone of the what's wrong with you. The tone of is explaining this is what you're wrestling against, right? Here's, here's what sin is. Here's what transgression is. Here's what iniquity is, and here's how the gospel of Jesus Christ overcomes all of it. So it's not going to be titled what's wrong with you. Maybe I'll put that as a subtitle, right? But, but it's all about being forgiven and what it means to be forgiven and what it means to be set free from your sin and what it means to be set free from shame and condemnation, what it means that all of that is taken away. And so when we come and we say, forgive us of everything that we've trespassed against you, we're asking for this because God's forgiveness removes our sin and it makes us holy and righteous in the eyes of God. That's 1 John 1, 9 among other places. To host the presence of God, the temple needs to be holy and we are made holy by confession of sin and Jesus removing that from us. And when we experience that holiness in our spirit, it allows the holiness of the Holy Spirit to indwell us and to unite us with the Holy One, Jesus. You see, that, that, that's the point of the indwelling of the Spirit. Yes, he gives us gifts. Yes, there, there's fruit produced by him when we live our lives. But he unites us to the Father through the Son. We have the presence of God in us. And so we say, forgive us. 
all these things. And, and what's happened, what's happened is, is we've, we've come to a place where uh, the, the church has maybe not explicitly taught, but is implicitly taught. That, that means they haven't said it outright, but all of their teaching points to this, that the church has said, if you just ask for forgiveness one time, you're good to go. And in a salvific sense, in a, in a place of salvation, that's true, but the effects of sin still linger until we ask for forgiveness of specific sins. This is the way that the spiritual world works. These are the, these are the structures and rules set up by God. And so we need to constantly come and ask for forgiveness. And when we ask for forgiveness, it means that we grow in righteousness. It means that what God is doing in us, sanctifying us, making us more like Jesus, this step of being a people who constantly ask for forgiveness of sins leads to that righteousness. It leads us to that place. And so Jesus says, don't forget to ask for forgiveness, but that forgiveness is, is contingent on something. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive. As we forgive. The extent to which we forgive others affects how God forgives us. I mean, that's, Jesus says this all over the place, all over the place throughout the Gospels. And, and, and he repeats it over and over, so we have to pay attention to it. The measure to which I extend forgiveness to people in my life. From the, the person who cut me off on the highway, right? Something minor, right? The extent that I forgive that person and to the extent that I forgive the person that abused me. To the extent that I give the person who betrayed me, who stabbed me in the back, who slanders me. The extent that I forgive that person is the extent that we experience the forgiveness of God in our lives post-salvation. Forgiveness is a blessing from God. He doesn't have to forgive you, but he does. It's a blessing, and we have to mirror his forgiveness. In one of my commentaries, it says there's an ethical thrust. We ought not to expect to receive from God which we are not prepared to bestow on others. If we want to get it from God, we have to give it to others. That's just like a good spiritual adage for anything. You want something from God, you have to be prepared to give it away. You want God to bless your finances, be prepared to give them away. You want God to bless your health, be prepared to pray for healing. You want God to forgive you, be prepared to forgive others. Right? What we want from God, we have to be willing to say, I will give this to all who ask. And even when they don't ask, I'm going to give it anyways. You see, uh, just like I talked about last week with the verb, uh, with the Greek uh, in the word hallowed being a verb, this is a verb. This is, this is a continual forgiving as we are forgiving others. It's not a one-shot deal because I can forgive people for my past and truly mean it, and it might come up again. That's why Peter says, ah, Jesus, how many times are we supposed to forgive people? Can we do it just Seven? Right? Can we get to a nice, manageable number? And Jesus says, nope. 
you have to do it 70 times seven. And they're fishermen, so they're like, math? Ah, I don't want to do math. How many is that, Jesus? More than you can fathom. You have to keep forgiving. And you might have to keep forgiving the same person. But it's a continually forgiving. Or you've forgiven from your past and you're truly forgiven. It doesn't come up and then somebody does you wrong the next day. You have to forgive them. Then as it comes up, you have to forgive them. When it comes up, you have to forgive the same person, the next person. Because here's the reality. Keeping a person in unforgiveness, right? Let me say this. Satan knows the rules. Satan knows that Jesus said, uh, if you forgive others, I've forgiven you. If you do not forgive others, I don't forgive you. Satan knows that Jesus said that. So then what is Satan going to do? Try to keep us in unforgiveness. Right? He knows the rules. Jesus set the ground rules. I'm only going to forgive as people forgive. Okay, then, I, then Satan says, then I'm going to stop them from forgiving so they don't experience your forgiveness. Keeping a person as unforgiveness is a method by which Satan keeps a believer in bondage. Here's what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 2. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs or his schemes. Paul says, you being caught in unforgiveness, you being unwilling to forgive, you unable to voice those things, man, if you're doing that, you're caught up in Satan's designs or his schemes. He's got you. Then Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity for the devil. Letting the sun go down on your anger gives the devil a place. Right, that opportunity, ESV, it's not a great translation. It's, it's the word topos, which we get topography from, which if you don't know topography, that means place, maps, these, these spaces in our lives. Don't give the devil a space by being in unforgiveness. That's why when somebody comes up to me and they say, Charles, I'm having spiritual problems. Charles, I'm doing this. Charles, I'm having this. Um, I, I just want to experience freedom. The first thing, I, I don't just start praying, all, praying with them there, laying hands on them, anointing with them oil, casting stuff out. I don't do any of that. We sit down and I say, okay, who do you need to forgive? Everybody comes with a list. Everybody. I think the shortest has been like five or six people. And some people it's like 15 because they've never done it. But this is the first thing you do. Because until you take that step, the fullness of what Jesus has for you isn't gonna manifest itself in your life. And here's, there's a, there's a, uh, a parable in Matthew chapter 18. And it's a parable about, uh, in Matthew chapter 18, it's, it's uh, I'm gonna read out of verses 32 uh, through 35, but it starts in 21, because that's, uh, that's when they come up to him and they ask, that's when Peter asks, how many times do I forgive somebody? And Jesus says, well, let me tell you a story. There was a master, and he was calling on everything that was owed to him from everybody else. He was collecting his debts, and he called one person in front of him, 
And that person owed him a billion dollars. That's essentially what it is. Says he owed him a billion dollars. And the master looked at the man and he said, you're gonna go to jail until you pay me everything I'm owed. Nobody has a billion dollars lying around. And the man says, no, just trust me. I'll go out, I'll get a better job. Master, and the master says, not only that, but I'm gonna sell your wives and your children. No, don't, I'll do anything. And it says that the master has pity on him and erases all of his debt. Anybody have debt in here? What if somebody came and said, I'm going to relieve you of all your debt, but I'm gonna do it in a way that won't tank the economy. I'm going to relieve you of all your debt. Right? That's the most political I've ever gotten. And the, and the, and the servant says, yes, that's awesome. That's good. And he goes out. And then as he's walking, he sees his buddy. He owed a billion dollars. He sees his buddy owes him a thousand bucks. And he goes up to him. And he says, where's my money? And the guy says, I don't have it. And he starts to beat him. He, he, goes, he, he lays his hands on him, it says. And he says, have patience with me. I will pay you. The same thing that this man said to the, the master. And everybody else saw it. And it was like, no, this guy was forgiven of a billion dollars. Now he's bothering him. And they went and they, they tattled on him. They told the master, that guy that you erased his billion dollar debt, he's, he's doing this over here. Here's what it says. Then his master summoned him and said, you wicked servant. I forgave you all of that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers. The, the, the literal word there in Greek is torturers. He delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all his debt. Now here's the word that should make your blood run cold if you haven't forgiven so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. <sighs> Unforgiveness causes wickedness. That's what it says. He calls him a wicked servant. Just forgive him all his debt. Now he's the wicked servant. Unforgiveness makes God angry. In his anger. In his anger. Anger, he delivered him over. Why was he able to deliver him over the tortures? Because unforgiveness removes divine protection. All from that one parable. So when we say, Father, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who have debts to us, as we forgive our debtors, forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us, Jesus is saying, you need to do this. If you don't do this, you will face the consequences and you don't want to do that. So if you feel trapped, if you feel tortured, if you feel jailed, oppressed, forgiveness might be the key that unlocks that, that, that prison door and allows you to go free. 
So give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead me not into temptation. See, it's very clear. Look, this is not the prayer that we pray. What do we pray? We pray, God, just get me through this temptation. As I've started to try to eat better in the past couple weeks, right? I don't go and sit with a box of Chips Ahoy cookies on my lap and say, God, get me through this temptation. (laughs) That ain't going to work. I get those out of my house, so I say, God, don't lead me to the cookies. Don't lead me to the warm, warm French bread. Don't lead me to that stuff. It's lead me away from them temptations. Don't put me in the middle of it and then just try to get me through it. And that's what we do. Man, we know the things that tempt us. We know the things that have a hold of us. And there's this line, and we're just like, how close can I get to this line right here? And then when we step over, we're like, God, get me through this. Help me out here. You should have been asking that a mile away when you kept walking towards it. You, You saw it a mile off. You saw it. You knew it. And yet, we like to creep up. But the prayer is, get, away for, get, get it all away from me. It's, a, it's actually a prayer of humility. It's a prayer of humility. It's saying, do not test me. I may not be able to hold up. This prayer becomes a humble admission that we are vulnerable and likely to succumb to any temptation. Right? The Bible says this. That he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And for us to say, God, I can't do this alone. Get it far away from me. Don't lead me to that place where I'm vulnerable. Don't lead me to that place where I might profane your name. Take me away from it. And I know that there's some of you in here this morning and you're saying, I pray that, Charles. I do. I know I don't want to go to my anger. I don't want to go to my pornography. I don't want to go to my alcohol. I don't want to go to these things. And I do see it coming a mile away, but I am drawn to it. First, ask yourself what's drawing you to it and then come see me. Don't get me anywhere near it, God, because... I'm, my spirit is willing, but my flesh is so weak. And deliver me from evil. Deliver me from evil. And this is probably better translated, deliver us from the evil one. See, Jesus does not deny the reality of our spiritual battles and the enemy we are fighting against. There are are many, many Christians who everything is just a battle against the flesh. Everything's just a battle of culture. And those are two things that war against us. Ephesians chapter two makes that clear. That we were slaves to our flesh. We were slaves to the culture sometimes. 
But Jesus never denies the reality that there is an evil one and he is coming after you. And if he's not coming after you, one of two things. He's already got you, right? Or you're not a threat. So once you start, right, all of this stuff that we've been talking about, identity, authority, these supernatural prayers of, of, of provision and the kingdom of God coming and his will being done on earth, right? Once you start to do that, once you start to walk in that, once those prayers become routine for you and you start to see it, then you will be attacked. And Satan's gonna look for any weakness that you have and he's gonna come after that weakness. This is what he does. And so Jesus says, be delivered from this. You can be delivered from it. Deliver us from the evil one. Because Jesus came, right? He came. He lived his life. He brought the kingdom, lived that sinless life, got upon the cross so that your sins could be forgiven, right? But in the process of that, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and canceled the legal right that they have over your lives. That's Colossians chapter two. And it says this, in John, 1 John 3, 8, because he came to fight and win our spiritual battles, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And the reason that the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Any act of Satan, Jesus wants to destroy it. So when something is going on in your life, you have to say, is this coming from Jesus? Does this line up with the person and the character of Jesus? And if it doesn't, then it's Satan and Jesus wants to destroy it. Right? Does sickness, plague, does that line up with the reality of who Jesus is? Satan wants to destroy it. This woman who comes to Jesus and begs for her daughter, right? Showing us that a child can be demonized. This is my child. She recognizes that this is from Satan and she knows who Jesus is and she knows what Jesus does. And what does Jesus do? He destroys that work of the, of the devil. This is, what sa- this is what Jesus does to Satan and his attacks. But unless you know that, unless you begin to see it, you're not going to recognize it when it happens. And if you don't recognize it when it happens, then, then here's, what, here's what we do. My problem, right? I do not war against flesh and blood. But I war against powers and principalities and other forms of darkness in all the heavenly places. This person makes me angry. I forget I forget that I don't war against flesh and blood, but I war against Satan and his structure. I war against them. But if I forget that, then I take my anger out here. I start to gossip over here. I start to do all the things that, that, that are not fruit of the Spirit over here because I've lost sight of the real battle. And when we lose sight of the real battle, people get hurt. Because we take out anger, frustration, our ineptness, we take it out on them instead of going to Jesus and saying, Jesus, this is the work of the devil, destroy it. Destroy it. 
Destroy it in my life. Show me what I need to do so that you destroy it in my life. Pray then like this. Our Father, through the blood of Jesus, our Father who does away with our shame, let there be an ongoing holiness in my life through your very presence. Let your kingdom come through the redemption of all things with the gospel, with healing, with spiritual freedom. And let your will be done as I become more like Christ and walk how he is leading me on earth right now, in this moment, as it is being perfectly displayed in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread through your supernatural provision of exactly what we need. And forgive us our trespasses so we are washed white as snow and we grow in righteousness. And forgive those who have, as we forgive those who have trespassed against us because we do not want to face your wrath or be trapped by a scheme of Satan. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one because we cannot do it alone and we need your power to save. Here's what I want you to think about as we close this morning. Jesus gives us permission in this prayer to ask for what we need. What do you want God to provide you with? What do you want God to provide you with? Don't be afraid to ask. You can boldly approach the throne of grace. And for some of you, it might be that you've come this morning and maybe you've been wrestling with God for a while. Maybe you've been trying to figure out if all of this is real. And what you need is say, God, I need your gospel. I need your forgiveness. I need you to wipe away my sin debt that you took on the cross. I need it to have effect in my life so that I can follow you. What do you need God to provide you with? And if you've made that decision, then maybe you're sitting here and say, God, I need healing, I need freedom, I need hope, I need joy, I need all of these things that you've promised me, but for some, there seems to be some block in between it, or maybe you haven't even asked for it. What do you need God to provide you with? And ask yourself, who do I need to forgive? When I, when, when I sit down with people and we go through this, it's incredible. Because we ask the Holy Spirit to, 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 to show the person who they need to forgive. It's incredible how many people I'm sitting there with and they say, I have no idea why this person, or I haven't thought about this person in 20 years and they just came to my mind right now. We hold things. We don't realize we've hold, we hold things. We've pushed them down. Who do you need to forgive? Right? And if you identify somebody as, as, we, as we close with a, a song, 
Forgiveness isn't this big grandstanding thing. You have to say it out loud because you do all spiritual warfare prayers out loud and forgiveness is spiritual warfare. So you just say, Father, I make the choice. I choose to forgive. Say their name. Because they did this and it made me feel like this. There's freedom in forgiveness. Who do you need to forgive? And then pray then like this. Man, just as we sing, you just want to pull out your Bible and go to Matthew chapter 6 and just read it with the understanding that you've gained in the past two weeks. With that understanding, just read it out loud. Our Father. And then just pray it pray it and see what part of it he catches your mind on. Maybe he'll catch your mind on hallowed be your name. Okay, Lord, I want to know your holiness more. Maybe he'll catch your mind on give us this day our daily bread and you'll say, ah, I have so much that I've forgotten that God is the actual provider of everything. You might get caught on deliver us from the evil one. Pray then like this. As we, as we jump into song, if you want prayer as you come up, you can come and kneel at the altar. And as you kneel at the altar, that's you saying, I just want to pray by myself between me and the Lord. If you want specific directed prayer, the laying on of hands, Andy and Amy are on the ministry team. I'll be over here. Um, ask God who should pray for me and go to that person to get prayer. But come with your needs. If anybody has, so I was asking God, I said, God, is there anything that you want to highlight? This morning, I think that he told me liver. If you have any liver problems, especially as it pertains to the flow, the, the filtering that the liver does, Uh, I would love to pray for your liver before you leave. You don't have to come up during the worship time. You can come up to me afterwards and find me and I'd love to pray for you. But if you'd stand with me. You'd close your eyes. I'm just gonna read the prayer again. See what God draws your mind and your spirit too. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And from some early manuscripts, for thine is the power and the kingdom and the glory forever. Amen.
blessing and 